How deserted lies the city, once so full of people. How like a widow is she, who was once great among the nations. She who was queen among the provinces has now become a slave. Bitterly she weeps at night, tears are on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, there's no one to comfort her. She dwells among the nations, she finds no resting place. All who pursue her have overtaken her in the midst of her distress. The roads to Zion mourn, for no one comes to her appointed festivals. All her gateways are desolate, her priests groan, her young women grieve, and she is in bitter anguish. Look, Lord, on my affliction, for the enemy has triumphed. Is it nothing to you, or you who pass by? Look around and see, is any suffering like my suffering that was inflicted on me, that the Lord brought on me in the day of his fierce anger? This is why I weep and my eyes overflow with tears. No one is near to comfort me, no one to restore my spirit. My children are destitute because the enemy has prevailed. The Lord is righteous. Yet I rebelled against his command. Listen, all you peoples, look on my suffering. My young men and women have gone into exile. Let all their wickedness come before you. Deal with them as you have dealt with me because of all my sins. My groans are many and my heart is faint. Without pity, the Lord has swallowed up all the dwellings of Jacob. In his wrath, he has torn down the strongholds of daughter Judah. The Lord has rejected his altar and abandoned his sanctuary. He has given the walls of her palaces into the hands of the enemy. The Lord has done what he planned. He has fulfilled his word, which he decreed long ago. He has overthrown you without pity. He has let the enemy gloat over you. He has exalted the horn of your foes. Very dramatic. Very dramatic. Here we go. Brilliant. Well, can I add my welcome uh, to you this morning? My name is Felix. I'm one of the curates here at HDC and a morning service pastor too. Um, it is really good to be with you uh, today. Now, I just want to start with a little disclaimer, which is this. Um, as you could probably tell from the readings, the verses we're looking at today are quite heavy. Okay, they're quite heavy. And so if you're here as a newcomer, uh, you're visiting, can I just reassure you that that's not always the case okay, at HDC. But we do believe here that um, all of the Bible has something to say to us in the highs and in the lows too. So with that in mind, let me pray as we start. The Apostle Paul writes, all scripture is God-breathed. So we thank you, Heavenly Father, that you promised to speak to us in all of your words. And so we can have confidence now, this morning, that even here, as we look at this sober book, Lamentations, you have something important to tell us. So we pray that your spirit would help us to hear and to respond what that is. Amen. 
On the 5th of February, just a couple of weekends ago, Sam Smith performed at the results of the 2023 Grammys. Dressed in a devil costume, Smith and his co-singer sung their hit single, Unholy. It divided opinion in the States. Some thought it was brilliant, some thought it was horrible. In fact, one senator even called it evil, and American pastors across the country um, have kind of waded into the debate. Some saying that it's evidence that our culture is increasingly normalizing sin, kind of thinking that it's not a big deal. And saying sin isn't a big deal isn't kind of particularly new. It's not new out of the church. It's certainly not new in the church. And so as we start, I want to ask this question. I wonder what our attitudes are to sin. I suspect there'll be some here this morning who'll be feeling a kind of a deep sense of guilt as you come in through the doors. Maybe guilt for a past sin or maybe a current struggle with one. There's no normalizing of sin in your life. And if that's you, please can I ask that you stay with me. Stay with me through to the end of this talk because there is light at the end of the tunnel. There is hope and healing amongst the despair. But for others, and I think I would include myself in this category, there is a danger of kind of normalizing sin. A little while ago, a pastor I know had to resign because of a big moral failure. And he wrote a letter to people that he knew um, explaining that over time he had increasingly become numb to his sin. And it's not hard, is it, to sort of slip down that slope thinking sin isn't a really big deal. Now you might be listening to this today and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. Maybe you're on the edge, kind of just exploring the Christian faith and you're probably thinking, you know, here they go again at church talking about sin. I remember a non-Christian friend of mine saying to me, the church is obsessed, in his opinion, uh, with two things, sin and sex. Whether or not he's right, hearing what the Bible says about sin is really important. And here's why. The more we realize how bad sin is, the more we will realize how good God is. And that's a truth that has the power to change your life and mine here this morning. If you don't believe me, stay with me. Stay with me as we start a series in this obscure book of the Bible called Lamentations. In chapters one and two, we're looking at both chapters today, we learn two simple but vital truths. Number one, sin is worse than you think. Number two, God is better than you know. So number one, sin is worse than you think. Now I think there's kind of three layers to this. Uh, in our passage. Layer number one, the suffering. The suffering. Now the suffering in this book smacks you kind of right in the face because it's everywhere. It's everywhere in this book and it's bad. It's really bad. The first word of the whole book kind of sets the tone. The word's translated as how and it's supposed to be said emphatically a bit like, you know, how? It's an attempt to convey that sudden feeling of your stomach kind of, you know, hitting the floor when you see something terrible. And maybe, maybe there's a sense in which that's how we're feeling, you're feeling as you've come through the doors this morning. That kind of deep, gut-wrenching sense of hurt, of suffering. Jeremiah, who most likely wrote this, cannot believe the suffering he's seeing around him. 
And if there's one word that comes close to describing this suffering, I think it's the word humiliation. Take a look at the first verse, if you've still got it in front of you, or come up on the screen as well. First verse, how deserted lies the city, once so full of people. How like a widow is she, who was once great among the nations, who was queen among the provinces, has now become a slave. The city of Jerusalem has been ransacked. In 2 Kings 25, we're told what happens, and it was grim. It was really, really grim. In 587 BC, around that, the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, he marched his army, huge army, to the city. And for just under two years, the city was under siege. It was literally kind of starved to the point of death. Then the walls were broken in, uh, the army was flooded in. They then grabbed the defeated king, Zedekiah, dragged him out of the city to the victorious king, Nebuchadnezzar. And then... uh, Zedekiah was forced to watch his sons brutally murdered in front of him. And then Zedekiah had his own eyes plucked out before the rest of God's people in the city were taken out to be exiles, slaves to Babylon. Brutal, brutal humiliation. And in Lamentations, Jeremiah is looking around the city and he's saying, how? This city was once full of people, but now it's deserted. He personifies the city as a widow. She was once great, but now she's a slave. It's utter humiliation. And here's the bad news. It gets worse. The book of Lamentations is made up of five very carefully put together poems. The first four are acrostic poems, which basically means the first word of every verse starts with consecutive letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Who cares? You might be thinking, that doesn't make any sort of sense or care for me. But basically what it's saying is, this is a kind of kind of A to Z of suffering. It's showing a path through it. But it's a long path. It's a really long path. And maybe you are here today and you are all too aware of that long path of suffering in your own life. You know, you look out to the world, it's not hard to see suffering in the world. Turkey, Syria, the earthquake, so many lives lost, families completely destroyed, bodies still being found. Or maybe it's closer to home, things going on in your own life, ongoing relationship disappointments, hopes dashed, family dreams, turned on the head. The path of suffering is not short and maybe you are so aware of that this morning. Well, Lamentations knows that. In our acrostic poem, we've only done the letter A. It's a long path ahead. It's relentless and we're supposed to feel it as we go through it. Verse two, all of the city's friends have betrayed her. Verse four, the city's religious activities are desolated. Verse five, the children in the city are enslaved. Verse six, the splendor of the city has departed. Verse 10, the treasures of the city are stolen. The people are taken, the treasures are taken, the religious purity is taken. She, the city, has been debased. Jeremiah says she's now unclean, filthy, You can imagine her beautiful dress ripped and stained. In verse eight, we're told, all who honored her despise her. They've all seen her naked. She herself is groaning 
and turning away. Her groaning kind of signaling that this is a sort of funeral dirge and there are tears and there are tears and there are tears. Chapter two, verse 18, the tears are flowing like a river. In other words, they're just nonstop. If you ever find yourself in Pennsylvania, I'd recommend a visit to the Pennsylvania Academy of Fine Arts. There you'll find this piece of work. It's coming up on the screen. It's called Jerusalem in Her Desolation by William Story. It's based on our chapters in Lamentations. And there she is. That's the city personified, slumped on rubble. Her dress, you probably can't quite see, but it's barely hanging on. Her mouth twisted in pain and agony. And on her forehead is a sign of Jewish piety, but she's a joke of a pious queen. There's nothing pure or pious about her anymore. She's been ravaged. In chapter two, verse 16, we're told it's as if she's been swallowed. It's devastating. It's humiliating. It's suffering on an unreal scale. And Jeremiah stands amongst it all in verse one. First words, his stomach hits the floor and that emphatic How? How? Now, my temptation with these passages is to look the other way. It really is. A friend of mine uh, wears glasses, and when there's a gruesome part in a film she's watching, she just kind of removes the glasses so she doesn't, can't really see what's going on. And then as soon as the scene, uh, the gruesome scene finishes, she puts the glasses back on. Well, reading Lamentations, we're tempted, I think, I'm certainly tempted to remove the glasses Let's just, let's just skip over it. Let's just not read it. I did a little exercise uh, before this Sunday. Went on the websites of plenty of other churches to see how often they preach through Lamentations. Thought it might be interesting. And you might be uh, not surprised to hear that it's very rare, if sometimes ever. But in chapter 1, verse 18, the city herself says, Listen, all you peoples. Look, look on my suffering. In other, words, in other words, don't close your eyes. Don't remove the glasses. And as we look closer, we begin to see the layer behind the suffering. I said there were three layers to see how bad sin is. There's the suffering, layer one. Layer two, the reason. You see, we're repeatedly we're told the reason for the suffering is the sin of the people. Verse five explains their grief is because of her many sins. Verse eight, Jerusalem has sinned greatly. Verse 22, their experience has been because of all of their sins. Sin is the reason for the suffering. Now back in Pennsylvania, if you were to look at the bottom of the statue, William Story statue, you'll see um, a tiny slithering serpent at the city's feet. The serpent representing sin. And we need to spot the serpent in that statue. We need to spot it because each of us will have gone through seasons of acute suffering. I know some of you are currently today. And our temptation when we read about suffering in the Bible is just to kind of draw a straight line from the suffering in the passage to our lives, to our suffering. But we've got to be careful because the problem with doing that is that sometimes the reasons for the suffering in the passage might be very different to the reasons for our suffering. Because you see, the Bible has different types of suffering. For God's people here in Lamentations, it was because of their sin. But in other parts of the Bible, you have people suffering for other reasons, because of other people's sin, 
because of persecution, because of the brokenness of this world. And in the case of a character called Job, it's not entirely clear exactly why he's suffering. And that's, that's my way of saying the suffering in Lamentations does not automatically mean the suffering you are experiencing is because of your sin. But what Lamentations does for all of us is to say that as Christians, we don't need to hide our suffering. As hard it is to say and to do, but as Christians, we, we don't need to have a kind of stiff upper lip to suffering. The Bible gives us language to cry out to God in our distress. I wonder if you spotted that God doesn't appear to say anything in our verses. But my goodness, does he care. He is very much listening. And we know this because of what sin is all about. At heart, you see, sin is a rebellion against God. I always remember how this was taught uh, to me when I was a boy with the help of a crown. Maybe you've come across this before. But the God, God is the creator of the universe. He should be wearing the crown. He's in charge. But sin is a rebellion because when we sin, we're in effect kind of snatching the crown off God's head and so plonk it on our own heads. You know, we say to God, you know, I'm in charge. I'm in charge of my life. I'm in charge of the way that I use my body, my tongue, my money, my relationships. I'm in charge, not you, God. Sin is a rebellion because God should be wearing the crown. One pastor in America puts it like this. Sin is another name for that hideous rebellion, that God defiance, that wretched opposition to the creator that crouches at the door of every fallen human heart. And the irony of Lamentations is that the real rebels are not actually the people who ransacked the city, although they are, but the people who lived in the city itself. You can hear it straight from the city's mouth, verse 18. Yet I rebelled against his commands. Lamentations acts as a kind of like a splash of cold water on the face. It shows us sin is serious. Sin is worse than you think. Which brings us to the final layer. We've seen the suffering, layer one. We've seen the reason for the suffering, uh, that's layer two. But let's peel back another layer to get to the kind of the ultimate cause for the suffering. You see, the person who's brought about this suffering well, it's God himself. There are numerous examples that show this. Let's just go to chapter two, verse one. How the Lord has covered daughter Zion with the clouds of his anger. He has hurled down the splendor of Israel from heaven to earth. This summer, uh, my wife and I will be celebrating six years of marriage, six happy years of marriage. Uh, we'll remember our wedding day when we made promises to each other, an exclusive special relationship. But the Bible says marriage is like a signpost. It acts like kind of a signpost to the far better relationship God has with his people, whether we're married or not. And the same is true back in Lamentations. God has a special, exclusive relationship with his people. A covenant, it's called. A covenant of grace. And God promises to show grace and favor on his people if they remain faithful to his promise of grace. But what sin does is sin is an act of unfaithfulness to God. It's worse than we think. 
The Lady City is described as having many kind of lovers, shamelessly exposing herself naked. Instead of an exclusive relationship with God, she's been sleeping around, as it were. She's looking for pleasure and satisfaction in other things, not in God. And of course, the city is representing the people. These people, that they're more interested in what other people think than what God thinks. And as for the religious leaders in this city, they have failed spectacularly. They were supposed to expose the sin and point people to the grace of God. But in chapter 2, verse 14, they've completely bottled it. And I am so, so, so sad to say this, but church leaders who are not sitting under God's authority, but instead going with the culture, not pointing people to God's grace, is rife today in this world. Sin is worse than we think. It corrupts all, especially the church. And God cares. He cares so much. Because you see, it's a rebellion against him. It causes him to be rightfully angry. Just a few months ago, Alexander Tretiak, an ex-major general in the, I get this right, security service of Ukraine, was put on trial for treason. He tried to kind of overthrow the leadership of the country. Now imagine sitting in the courtroom. Everyone there in the courtroom, including the judge, everyone knows that Alexander Tretiak is guilty. But then imagine with me the judge declaring him innocent. That wouldn't be justice. That judge would be a complete fraud. And when it comes to judging our sin, God is no fraud judge. He is totally just. Our sins, they get what they deserve. One commentator puts it like this. The great catastrophe of Jerusalem's fall is a sober reminder that God is not to be trifled with. You see, sin isn't something we can't just normalize. The consequences are just too great. Now listen, listen, we could, we could try and pretend that it's all gonna be fine. You know, we could sing along with Sam Smith about living an unholy life. Frankly, we could just pretend that God doesn't exist altogether. We could follow the example of the harlot rebel city in Lamentations. We could climb into bed metaphorically with the gods of pleasure, with the gods of uh, wealth and prosperity. Perhaps we already have. But as we do, remember sin is worse than you think. The horrific suffering in Lamentations shows us how bad the consequences are. So as we near a close, the logical question has got to be this, isn't it? If sin is worse than we think, what hope is there? What hope is there? And perhaps as you're listening to this, you're all too aware of how you have been or are being unfaithful to God at the moment. Maybe with a big thing, maybe with a small thing. Well, where's the hope? Well, the hope is this. God is better than we know. God is better than we know. He is faithful, even though we are not. Nothing, nothing can break his covenant of grace. Like the wedding groom standing at the front of the church, he says, I still choose you. 
So how do we escape from God's just anger? Well, God himself provides the solution. He sends his son, the Lord Jesus, to suffer in our place on the cross. God poured out his rightful anger for our sins on Jesus instead of us. Back in that courtroom with Alexander Tretiak, it would be like the judge, you know, rightly declaring Alexander to be guilty, announcing he should be punished as he should, but then the judge taking off his own wig, climbing down the stairs, and then willingly being led away to be punished instead of Alexander. You see, lamentation shows us what Jesus has sacrificed for us. The worse we see of the suffering in this book, the more we will see exactly what Jesus paid for us on the cross. One Old Testament scholar puts it like this. Lamentations shows us the seriousness of rebellion against God, but it also points beyond itself to the mercy of God. For ultimately, this biblical book must be seen as Christ's cry from the cross, as he suffers for the sin Lamentations mourns. So how do we escape the consequences of our sin? We turn to Jesus. We turn to Jesus. Maybe you've never done that before. I'd love to invite you. I'd love to invite you to turn to him today, to say to Jesus, I want to trust in you. I want to trust in your sacrifice for me. I want in. And for those who are trusting in Jesus, maybe, and this is true for me, maybe this passage has brought out a kind of an overflowing of thankfulness. Praise God that we do not have to face the consequences of our sin. So as we come to a close, in this week ahead, if we're ever tempted to think our sin doesn't matter, remember lamentations. Remember the cost Jesus has paid for you and for me. God is faithful to us, even though we're not to him. Sin is worse than we think, but God is better than we know. Amen.